Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. I'm really excited because we get to start a brand new series uh, that's going to be going for the next three weeks, just called The Table. So we're glad to have you here for The Table. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up sort of in that traditional family thing where you know, my dad was working and my mom was at home. And so one of the things that we had going on, and I didn't really realize it was going on when I was growing up, is we had that traditional family time uh, where we'd sit around and you don't really know what's happening as a kid, but you're basically downloading your day and you're kind of talking about it and processing it and going through it. And, you know, of course, there's arguments and there's fights and there's all kinds of things that happen at the table. And there's, you know, the favorite meals that your mom makes, the ones that you hate, the ones that you love. You do all that, and, and it's kind of a cool thing. And uh, then what happens is you start to get a little bit older, and all of a sudden you start getting invited out to your friend's house or maybe a relative, and you find out that, hey, different tables are a little bit different but kind of similar, you know, and so you kind of go through that thing. Well, I can remember um, when I had met my wife and uh, before she was my wife, and I was kind of getting serious with her, I thought, you know, I need to go to meet her family and make sure that uh, this is cool, because I'd heard that her dad was in the mafia. No, I'm just kidding. He was, my father-in-law's name is Vito from Chicago, and so we affectionately call him Don Vito. Anyways, but I remember her mom, and uh, her mom just went to be with Jesus uh, on December 27th, and uh, her mom, though, was this phenomenal gourmet cook, and uh, she cooked incredible meals that it's like nobody else can cook them quite the way that she did, and so we're sitting down, and you know, I, I was raised by British parents, right? And so they taught us how to use forks and knives. Like British people can do cool things. Like they can eat fried chicken with a fork and knife. They can put peas on the back of their knife. We can like impress you with our fork and knife, you know, stuff going on here, you know? And uh, my grandma always used to say, the way they knew American spies was by the way they handled their utensils. I'm like, come on, seriously, grandma? She's like, yeah, it's true. I'm sure it wasn't. But Anyway, so we're sitting down at this table and and I'm this young guy, man, and, and, and I weigh a lot less than I do right now, and I have like a much bigger appetite. So I'm primed and pumped and ready to eat. Puts out this meal, and we start eating this meal, and all of a sudden, my sister-in-law, who's probably 13 at the time, spills her drink. Well, you guys, you know what happens when somebody spills a drink at the table, what do we do? We kind of scramble, right? It's like all hands on deck, grab the towels, grab the, you know, whatever, paper towels, whatever. Like, let's contain this. I just want you to know, I was into that meal. I was like locked and loaded, laser focus. And I, I'm not making this up. I literally did this. I picked my plate up. And without losing my rhythm, I just kept eating. <laughs> I just, they were like cleaning up. And I was like, oh. And my mother-in-law just starts laughing. Well, you know, every gourmet cook likes it when you love their food, right? So... At that point, I had kind of won her heart, you know. I didn't even know what I was doing, but it was a lot of fun. So anyways, you know, growing up around a table is fun. And when you look at a lot of Jesus' ministry, he did it around meals at tables. And one of the things that happens is um, these are the things that begin to shape us. And one of the things that I know is that have you ever been impacted by an invitation that you have received? I have. Maybe felt honored by it or... Have you also felt hurt by one that you didn't receive? You ever been that person that walked up to someone and said, hey, are you going to that party on Friday night? And they're like, deer in the headlight, like, what party? 
And what do you do? Do you not instantly feel a little bit bad for them, right? Because they weren't invited, right? So we've all been impacted by invites or not being invited. And here's the thing. Some of the places I've been invited to, I mean, the moment I walked in, I just fell in love with the people. I'm like, man, I love these people. It, I feel so uh, good. It's, it's just warm. It's friendly. Like, I want to be here. Like, I hope they invite me back. But I've also been on the opposite side of that where I've been invited to places where I felt like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Like, I got to find a way to get out of this meal. Like, I got to find a way to leave. Like, I'm not being celebrated at this point. I'm being tolerated. And I really don't want to come back. And in many ways, that's kind of how it is with churches. And I want to just say this. No matter who you are in this place today, regardless of your race, your political views, your financial status, your social status, regardless of any of those things, I want you to know something. You are welcome at this table because this church is a table and you're welcome here. And we want you to know that we do not tolerate you here, we celebrate you. Regardless of whether you believe what I believe or not, it's okay. We're glad you're here. So here's the main thing that I want us to catch this morning, and it's simply this. We're here because of who invited us, not because of who we are. I'm going to say that again. We're here because of who invited us, not because of who we are. And that may sound simple, but what you believe about that statement dictates what kind of church you're going to be. So I want to get into this a little bit this morning. And, you know, when you look at the Bible, you find out that the word table is used a lot in the Bible. And one of the most well-known passages in the whole world is Psalm 23. And in verse 5 of Psalm 23, it says that he has prepared a table before us, what, in the presence of our enemies. Like, as our shepherd, his protection is so amazing that when he puts out a feast for us, our enemies can only sit and watch because we're under his protection. They have to watch us eat and feast on the goodness of God because we know that it's not talking about a literal meal. It's talking about a spiritual one. It's a spiritual metaphor. And there are many places in the Bible that, that talk about the table of the Lord in that way. Now, here's the thing. If I said to you this afternoon, hey, man, do you want to do lunch? You want to do lunch? How many of you know, here's what I'm not asking you. I'm not saying hey, do you want to go with me to a restaurant, sit down, order your food, and then sit there in complete silence and eat it while I sit in complete silence on my side and eat my, my meal, and then we leave together? How many of you know it's kind of inferred that at a table, there's an interaction, there's an exchange, there's a fellowship, that there's give and a take? And we talk a lot in our society about intimacy, but how is intimacy achieved? Well, it's really not just sexually achieved, but intimacy is like when you share your experience with me and I take the time to actually hear you and listen to you, I get to share in that experience. And when we're fellowshipping, I'm either getting to know you or I'm building on a relationship I have with you, and it's much the same with the Lord as well. So we know that fellowship around a table is important. Now, here's the thing. The most significant table in the whole world is the church. Because what is served at the church is not served anywhere else in the world. You know, a long time ago, I heard it said this way, what's the difference between us and the Kiwanis Club or the Shriners, you know, where they have dues and membership? And What's the difference? 
The biggest difference is what we serve here, and that's Jesus Christ, the presence of God. And Jesus said these words about himself in John 6, 35. Listen to what he says. I am the bread that gives life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who has faith in me will ever be thirsty. See, I believe that on the inside of every single person that's ever been born, there's this desire, there's this hunger, and there's this thirst. And I got to tell you, success and achievement won't quench that thirst and satisfy that hunger. Relationships, no matter how good they might be, they will not quench that hunger. Your achievements will not quench that hunger. I remember a guy that I had an opportunity to become friends with, and, and I met him in Germany, but then he also came out to our church in Los Angeles, and we got to know each other a little bit. This guy was a 1996 gold medal winner um, in the Atlanta Olympics in the men's uh, high bar. And you know what? He was raised in East Germany, raised in an atheist society, told that there was no God. And you know what happened to him? I heard him, he actually came and shared this with our youth group there, and I was blown away. He said, you know what he said? After I won the gold medal, he said, I asked myself this question. I have strived my whole life since I was five years old for this medal. And now that I have it, now what? Now where do I go? What do I do? I have achieved my dream. And he said, I became suicidal for one year. And that's when his heart opened up to God and he met Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. I believe that that hunger and that thirst can only be satisfied by the bread that gives life and by the living water that is through Jesus Christ. And that's what we offer at the table of the Lord. And here's another thing that I found out. There are two different perspectives that Christians have when it comes to this table and who belongs here. And that's what I want to get into today. Who really belongs here? See, I believe that we're here because of who invited us, not because of who we are. And that's a huge difference between what a lot of other Christians believe. So let's look at this this morning. You know, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, listen to what it says here about Jesus. While... He was having dinner at Matthew's home. Many tax collectors and notorious sinners. Can I just stop there? Like notorious sinners. Seriously. Notorious sinners. These are people who are like known for their ability to sin very well. Arrived and began eating with Jesus and his disciples. And the Pharisees saw this and said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and notorious sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said, healthy people don't need a physician, but sick people do. So I don't know what your definition is. Like, I grew up around some notorious sinners, but I'm kind of thinking back, like, you know, publicly, there's so much on media. It's like, how do you remember a couple years ago when Charlie Sheen had, like, a huge epic meltdown? Like, like come on, even in Hollywood, like, he's known as an epic notorious sinner, like his debauchery, right? How about the shock jock, Howard Stern, Right? He's going to say something just to kind of get you to listen, right? Jesus had meals with people like that. They actually had a reputation that they'd gained for their ability to sin well. And get this, if you, I grew up on the King James, and, and it used to call this word publicans, but here it says tax collectors. Do you know that, I know 
we probably don't like the IRS a whole lot. I mean, we tolerate them, right? But I mean, I had a guy, the IRS at my old church, and he was a cool guy. He wasn't mean. But tax collectors were so despised and so hated beyond any other sinner that they actually had their own category. If you read through the Gospels, you'll find it says sinners and tax collectors. <laughs> Some of you are like, I hate them too. I, yeah. <laughs> but here's why they were so despised, because... The Romans learned a long time ago when they would conquer a nation, it was hard to collect taxes. So they would give out contracts to locals who knew the culture and the economy and say, hey, I want you to collect $5 million in taxes from Mahoning County. And it was kind of known, anything over that is yours. We're going to give you a percentage, but anything over that is yours. So these guys were crooks. And they would tack on all kinds of surcharges. And they became filthy rich, but they were hated by their own people. Because part of that tax money, as Jews, they were told not to worship false god and pagan idols, and part of their tax money was being spent to build temples all over where false gods were being worshipped. So they would rather spit on a tax collector than look at them. Now, you need to know that when you're reading this because that's why they're objecting. Like, hey, these are well-known sinners that you, Mr. Godly Messiah man, are hanging out with. Something's wrong here. And by the way, they're tax collectors. You can't stoop any lower than that. We get that you're going to hang out with prostitutes, but these are tax collectors, Jesus. Come on, you can't stoop that low. I love what Jesus says in verse 13. Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. You see, the greatest critics in Jesus' day were people that believed that people who were godly should have nothing to do with ungodly people. They believed that this thing called the club med or club God was supposed to be exclusive and not inclusive, and Jesus was all about bringing outsiders in and not just coddling, or not just, I would say it this way, he wasn't all about catering to the already convinced. He was on a mission to find people who had lost their way. People like me and some of you who had lost their way. That's what he was about. And I love that. And so they have issues with him, and we find out that they think they know the heart of God. They think they know what God is like, but yet... John 1.18 says that God in the flesh, God incarnate, Jesus shows up in a human body and it says he takes this invisible God that no one has ever seen and it says Jesus made the invisible God visible. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. Do you want to know what God is really like? Just read the Gospels. That is who he is. And so, but they have an issue. They think they know God, but they really have an issue with who God really is. Now, let's look at another passage here in Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus told a story to some people who thought they were better than others and who looked down on everyone else. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Now, I want you to look at this prayer when I read it, and I want you to see how many eyes are in it. You ready for this? The Pharisee stood over by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not greedy, dishonest, and unfaithful in marriage like other people. And I am really glad that I am not like that tax collector over there. I go without eating. In other words, I fast two days a week. And I give you a tenth of all I earn. I'm a tither. The tax collector stood off at a distance and did not think he was good enough to even look up towards heaven. He was so sorry for what he had done that he pounded his chest and prayed, God, have pity on me. 
I am such a sinner. And then Jesus said, when the two men went home, it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who was pleasing to God. Why was that? Because this Pharisee did what a lot of Christians unwittingly do, and that is that you may start out by being invited, but all of a sudden you start to earn your way at the table. You earn a place at the table. You start to do things and start to feel God has accepted me because I prayed today, because I fasted this week. Hey, oh, by the way, Pastor Graham, I, did you happen to notice in the offering I gave 10% of my income this week? Did you notice that? And what we do is we develop something called self-righteousness. And the problem with self-righteousness is it causes you to think that because of your relationship with God, that your relationship with God makes you better than someone else. You use your righteousness to look down on someone else, and that's wrong. That's not good. Jesus didn't do that, and we're not supposed to do that. Because we're not earning a place at this table. We've been invited to this table. And I think what's happened is in the church world, we have a lot of modern-day Pharisees. They don't know that they're that way, but they are. And what you believe about this topic dictates what kind of a table or church you're going to be. As I realize a lot of you don't really know who we are as a church. You've heard about us. You don't really know who we are. You don't know our DNA, but here's what you need to know. Our hearts are open to outsiders. We want to be on mission with Jesus. We want to have the same vision statement that he has, that he is not here to coddle insiders, but to invite outsiders to come and to sit and have a meal at his table. Not because we deserve it, but because he's good. You know, I heard this story um, quite a while ago from uh, Craig Rochelle. If you don't know who he is, he's, he's the pastor of a church called Life Church out of Oklahoma. It's the largest church in America. They have 50,000 people that worship at Life Church every single weekend, over 27 campuses. And when he was in Bible school, he was in a denomination. They would take these young guys and to give them experience, they'd send them out to small churches in the country where maybe they were in between pastors. And so... He was out at a small church, and he pulled up, and he said, the secretary said, hey, we had a visitor call this week, and she was super excited. He goes, I got the impression they didn't have a lot of visitors there. And uh, he goes, okay. And so he goes, you know, I had on the only suit I had. And he goes, so I'm standing at the front steps of the church. Let's just call this guy Deacon Bob. We all know who Deacon Bob is. And Deacon Bob is standing with her at the front steps of the church, And all of a sudden, sure enough, they kind of figure out this is the lady they called. This old beat-up car pulls up. And then the lady that steps out, Craig said, when you looked at her, he goes, you could tell this lady had a rough life. She's a little beat-up herself, just like that car. And she walked up the steps of that church to come in. And here's what Deacon Bob said to her. And I wish this was made up, but it was true. Deacon Bob looked her up and down with his suit on and said, on Sundays, we dress our best for God. Is that the best you can do? She turned around, walked right down, got in her car. You think she ever came back to a church again? Probably not. Was that the heart of God? No. That was a modern-day Pharisee who said, you earn your way to this table. No, 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 no. 
we are here. I'm here and I know it because of who invited me, not because of who I am. It has nothing to do with me. I just accepted the invitation, just like you. That's all I did. And I think it's important for us to know this. And I got to tell you something, you know, part of my own story is I had kind of started to become this way. Oh, no, not, not outwardly. I would never. I was always too nice of a guy to be a deacon Bob. Well, let me just tell you what happened in my life. Um, I was raised in a church. My dad was the worship leader, um, super faithful. He was on the board. My mom and dad, we were at church three times a week. I like to tell people I had a drug problem because my parents drugged me to church three times a week. You know, it's like, and uh, I hated it, you know, and I hated every minute of it. And uh, um, I didn't get the whole God thing. Um, we were in a church that they did preach the gospel at some level because I would feel this drawing to God. But they had a lot of traditions of men wrapped up in the cans. And how many knows you, you want to find out what's wrong in a church? You don't know until you do something wrong. And then they go, we don't do that here. Right? They tell you their culture. And I can remember things that didn't make sense to me because when my sister wanted to go see Mary Poppins, my, my parents said, well, you can't go to the movies because that's a sin. Show me that in the Gospels, please. How is it a sin to go see Mary Poppins? But as a young kid, I thought that had to do with serving Jesus. So I said, Jesus, I want to get into heaven free ticket. I want to live my life the way I want to live it for all my days. And on my deathbed, I want to have a repentance confession and get into heaven. Here's the thought for you. C.S. Lewis came up with it, not me. If you don't want anything to, God, to do with God in this life, what makes you think you're going to want to be around him for eternity? See, a lot of it is we just don't really know who he is. We, do, we, we, we hesitate to believe that he could actually be as good as he says he is, but he is actually better. He is better. And so for me, I got radically saved. I was, I was 18. I'll tell you what happened to me. I had been... I grew up in Los Angeles, and, and I grew up around, I, my parents were really godly people, raised us in the church, tried to teach us right from wrong, but I got involved with a group of kids, and I was regularly getting high from the time I was in seventh grade. I know that sounds crazy, but I was. By the time I was 15, I dropped out of church and wouldn't go back, and then by the time I was 18, I was, I was living for the weekends. I was spending half my paychecks on the weekends just partying. And I was 18 years old, I was sitting at a drive-in theater, which they don't even have in California anymore. I was sitting at a drive-in theater in the back of a pickup truck with my friends, and we were drinking beer and smoking dope. I'm not proud of that. It's just who I was. That's who I was. If you would have met me then, that's who I was. That's what I was about. And I was sitting there. Now, I didn't know God spoke to people. I didn't even know God talked. I didn't know he had a voice. I thought there was a Bible, and that's it. Right in the middle of my party, I got an invitation. I did. I heard a voice. I wasn't trying to hear a voice. I'd never heard a voice before in my life. I wasn't crazy, but I heard a voice right while I was partying. And this voice said these words specifically that I'm going to repeat to you because I've never forgot them. You thought you had to be perfect before you came to me. But if you come to me, then you'll change. See, that was my whole People would say, would you ever go? Well, if I ever got my act together, I would go back to church. You ever talk to them? Yeah, when I get my act together. You, you can't get your act together. You're not that good. No one's good enough to get their act together. That's the whole gospel. And, and so 
I, I had this wrestling match with God. After I heard that voice, I had a wrestling match internally with God for a whole year to the point where I finally just said, I can't take it anymore. I don't know what this all means, but I'm going to give my life to Jesus. When I gave my life to Jesus, I had this radical encounter with Jesus. I got radically saved. I don't know how else to say it to you. It changed and it rocked my world. My friends thought I would last one week. They, they bet me that I would last one week without going high. They bet me that. The night I got saved, I played in a company softball game in, in, in L.A. And I remember we beat that team. I hit a home run that night. So I remember it. That's the only home run I hit that season. But I hit a home run that night. And I remember, like, I'm sitting with all these people that I used to hang out with. And they're passing joy. Joints and, 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 they're, and they're drinking, and I'm just taking the joints and passing it to the next person. I didn't have any other friends. But I knew something had changed. I knew I couldn't just live in that place. And so I get radically saved, and all of a sudden, I'm so excited about God. I go to Bible school, and I'm getting turned on to God, and, I, and I'm still excited about telling anybody I know that I can drag into the, the church doors or to tell them about Jesus. I'm, I'm dragging my beautiful now wife down to the red light district every Saturday night with my church to witness to, to whoever is out there in that district. I even tried to convert Pastor Joe to the Lord because he looked like a tough guy walking down in a leather jacket. I saw him. I said, hey, man, can I talk to you about Jesus? He goes, oh, I'm from Grace Church, man. I said, oh, I'm sorry. That was my discernment was really working that. And I was like, I discern that you need the Lord. And I was, I was excited about Jesus. I was telling, but you know what happened in Bible school was I started hanging around people who thought like me, talked like me, looked like me, dressed like me, acted like me in this little bubble. And pretty soon, I only wanted to be around people who were just like me. I didn't want to, any, I didn't want to be around anyone who wasn't just like me anymore. So I graduate. <coughs> My wife and I get asked to help this church that was just planting. They were seven months old. They asked us to help with children and youth, and we did, and they couldn't pay us. So I'm working this job, and I just get a promotion. The company seems like it's going gangbusters. We're doing really well. And, and I'm like, man, this company just keeps buying up its competitors. And then all of a sudden, one day, we have this big talk from management, and they're like, hey, we've got to break some news to you. Um, our CEO was caught in a money laundering sting by the FBI. <laughs> And he's just been sentenced to jail. And he, they worked out a term for him. And here's what's going to happen. Monday through Friday, he's going to leave the jail at 8 a.m. He's going to come to work here at night. He's going to go back and spend the night in L.A. County Jail. And then he's going to be there on the weekends. And by the way, part of his plea bargain is that he's going to hire ex-cons. But we can't tell you who they are. Anybody ever seen Prison Mike from The Office? Yeah, like, we can't tell you who the con man is, right? It's like, so like the first guy, I just got promoted, right? So the first guy they hire they can't tell me he's an ex-con, right? He's 20 years older than me. He looks like he's from the cast of The Sopranos. And I'm like, dude, this is serious trouble right here. So, I mean, so I'm with this guy all day. And I remember I come home, and I'm starting to complain to God in my prayer about this guy. I just kind of like that Pharisee, right? But I wasn't like him, was I? I said, God, you know... I could have been praying today, and I, and I could have been worshiping you, and I could have had my cassette tapes going. I could have really been edified today. Instead, I had to be with this guy. And do you know what God did? He interrupted me, just like he did to Peter. He interrupted me in mid-complaint. And he asked me a question. How did I treat you when you were a sinner? And I said, oh, I've been to Bible school. I know the answer, Romans 5.8, for while we were yet sinners... You mean while you were living in your sin, Graham, while you were dishonoring my name and living a life that dishonored me, while you were partying at the drive-in theater with your friends, while you were still in sin, Christ died for you in that place? Yes. Christ offered you his acceptance before you took hold of it? Yes. So let me ask you a question. What did I do for you? And I said, well, that's what you did for me. And then this is what God said to me. He said, I want you now 
to do that for him. And I want you to do that from now on for everyone you ever meet for the rest of your life. And do you know from that day forward to this time, I have never, I don't care who you are, I don't care how jacked up your life might look to somebody else, I don't care, I, honestly, my wife will tell you, I can meet anybody and be their friend in minutes usually. I'm not trying to brag about myself. You know what it is? I have this inner attitude. I don't just like fake it on the outside. I have this inner attitude that says, you know what? In my presence, because God has been so good to me, you are now in my no judgment zone. I'm not gonna judge you. By the way, Christians, 1 Corinthians 5.12 tells us as Christians, our job is not to judge the world. Did you know that? Not your job to judge the world. We'll handle discipline among ourselves, but let's, let's take that off them. You're in the no judgment zone. I, I give you my acceptance. You don't have to earn it. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna value you. I'm gonna honor you. You don't have to earn it. I'm just gonna give it to you because God's been that good to me and I'm just gonna, you know, freely you have received, freely give. I'm gonna give it back to you. And that's how I've been ever since that time. But I did not know I was a Pharisee at one time. I didn't know I became one. It was so subtle. I thought I was honoring God by staying away from notorious sinners. How are notorious, how, how do people get affected by salt as long as it stays in a shaker? It's not all about like cramming the gospel down people's throats. It's about building a relationship, showing them you care. I'm not saying that, look, I'm not trying to tell about how to evangelize today because there's a lot of different ways you can do it. But I'm saying I know this, that most of the time it comes through a relationship. Most people come to Jesus Christ. 97 plus percent of the people that come to faith in Christ come through a friend, neighbor, relative, or coworker, period. It's not mass crusades. That's relational. So what is the inner attitude that you and I have towards people? And what is the attitude that this church should be having towards those who come through our door? Do we really seriously think we should be pre-qualifying people? Have you ever thought this thought to yourself, should I invite them? You ever thought that? Can I just say, yes? I used to have members come to me and they say, I don't know, this person's in this lifestyle, Pastor. You, maybe I shouldn't, do you want me to not invite them? I said, are you kidding? Have I done such a poor job of preaching the gospel that you have to ask me that? No, whosoever will. I'm gonna just try and land this plane here because I could go on. I've got more I could tell you, but I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna go to Luke chapter 19. We're gonna read about Zacchaeus. If you were like me, you were raised in a church and they used to sing songs like Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was, anybody ever hear that song growing up? Yeah, that was written by an Irishman. <laughs> I'm Irish, I, I was born in Ireland, I know that because my, my parents used the word wee for everything. Would you like a wee cup of tea? A wee bite of this, a wee bite, I, okay, mom, a wee bit of that, you know. We were in Ireland in 2002 with our family, two, my, all my sons, nieces, nephews, and my mom and dad were there. And I remember we were jaywalking. And this little Irishman thought he was going to help us out like these Americans don't know what they're doing. Because we're all talking, we're Americans, they know it. And, and, and we're about to cross the street. And he comes up to me to get my attention. He points at the green man, right? But he doesn't call him the green man. He says, points at him, he says, the wee green man, the wee green man. Don't cross till you see the wee green man. <laughs> I said, I'm American. I'm going to jaywalk. Sorry. I just, we're jaywalk. We don't have that kind of patience where I come from. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. Ooh, that's bad. And he was rich. 
And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. He was, I don't know, height challenge, maybe a little person, we don't know. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. I don't know about you, but as a kid, every single tree I came across was built for me to climb it. I love climbing trees. Anybody identify? Man, I love to hang upside down from the limbs and swing and did all that all the time. But I don't know what happened. At some point, I stopped climbing trees. This guy didn't. He knew that if he ever wanted to see above a crowd, he had to get above the crowd. So he climbs a sycamore tree. And here's a thought for you. Is it possible that the God of heaven, the God of heaven who plans out things in amazingly synchronized detail, the God of heaven who can prophesy 460 plus years ahead of time or 700 years ahead of time and give you the name of a child and when he'll be born and what they'll do, is it possible that that God planted that sycamore tree right there so that on that day, this little man could climb up in it? I believe it is. Let's look what happens. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him, for he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Oh, no, Jesus, don't do that. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man... Do you want to know what Jesus' mission and vision statement is? Here it is. You ready for it? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus placed a high, high value on people who are far from God to the point that he was willing to invest in their lives. How about you and me? Are we willing to invest in the lives of people right while they're in the middle of their hot mess? Jesus found me in my mess. It didn't keep him away. Here's what I want to close today. A number of years ago, the Disney Corporation began to do exit surveys at their theme parks. And I'm a fan of Disney. I've had season passes at times. And it's an expensive place to go, but especially if you're traveling to get there, right? You got to fly in, rent a car, get a hotel, just getting into the park. You know, one churro can cost you, you know, a quarter of your paycheck. You know what I mean? It's like, it's the expensive place to go. And they were finding out in these exit surveys that people were leaving disappointed. They'd spend a lot of money and they were leaving disappointed. Now, if you hadn't asked me what it was, I would have never guessed what the answer But you know what? They boiled down their answers and guess what the common denominator was? You may not believe this, but this is what they found out. The number one reason why their guests were leaving disappointed was this. They came to see someone and they never got to see him. And guess who that is? The one it all started with, Mickey Mouse. It sounds funny. They were walking out of that park having never seen Mickey Mouse. So a bunch of guys got around and said, what can we do? And they said, well, we could put Mickey Mouses in every single you know, part of this park. They could be all over the place. And then a mom probably stepped in and said, are you crazy? My three-year-old's way smarter than that. They'll know what's up here. And they came up with this idea. They said, hey, what if, what if, we had this huge parade at the end of the night. And we just went down Main Street, and we had characters from all of our movies and dancers and, and floats and just kind of built it. And then what if the marshal, the grand marshal of that parade, what if that grand marshal was Mickey Mouse? That could work. That could work. And you know what? It did. And they do that to this day. Isn't that amazing? Can I just say something to you? 
in the days ahead in 2018. God planted a sycamore tree. God planted a church called B.C. Boardman. God planted a tree in this city, and the purpose of this tree is so that people can climb up in our branches. But know this, they're really coming to see one person. They're coming to see Jesus. That's our job. If we can, if we can, extend his grace and his kindness and his heart to the people who walk through our door. Not everybody's going to accept him. They're not all ready. But if I believe this, if people can see the real Jesus, I don't think they'll ever want to turn back. Not, not the man-made one, but the real Jesus. Like he's that good. He's that good that once you follow him, once you taste his goodness, nothing else tastes quite like it. There's no substitute. Let's pray. Father, man, I've done my best to share this message. But Lord, I just pray, Lord, that in the weeks, in the months ahead, Lord, that <clears throat> you would give us an opportunity, Lord, as a church that you would give us an opportunity to see the people around us as treasures, people that you died for, people that you've invited to your table. Lord, would you, would you begin to give us your heart? Would you begin to help us to see the people around us that sometimes we've written off? Would you help us to see them the way you see them through your eyes? Would you help us to, to have your heart for them, Lord? Would you help us, Lord, to not be so consumed with even just our own pursuits that we've stopped having time for anyone else. Lord, we just ask you to do a work in each of us this year. We pray, Lord, that this will be a table where everyone who ever walks through these doors will know from the first moment they walk through that they're not being tolerated, they're being celebrated, and that they don't have to earn that. We just want to extend that. We want to extend your grace and your mercy. So that's what I ask. While we're praying here today, if you're here today, and maybe you're like me, maybe you're not like me, but maybe you've heard about Jesus or you thought you knew who he was. I just want you to know something that Jesus, man, he's inviting you. He's inviting you to come sit at his table today. He's inviting you to come and follow him. He's inviting you to come and receive the gifts of life that he offers because he is the bread that gives life. And once you have him, you'll never hunger again. And once you have him, you'll never thirst again. If you're here today and, and you've never opened your heart up to accept him, to say yes to him, to say, yes, I want to follow you, then I want to give you that opportunity right now. This isn't some magic prayer. This isn't anything, but the Bible makes it very clear that God's kingdom is as near as your heart and as close as your mouth. It's really that simple, so simple you could almost stumble over it, trip over it. But if you simply believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for you, that he rose from the dead, and if you simply say with your mouth what you already believe with your heart, that's your entry into the kingdom. Now, it's not just about getting into heaven. 
No, this isn't just a ticket for us to get into heaven, but this is about getting heaven into us because God is concerned about the here and now as well, not just your eternity. He wants to help you today in all the things that you're dealing with. He's that good. So if you want to receive him today, then I want to encourage you, would you just say this prayer with me as an entryway, as an invitation to say, Jesus, yeah, I'm going to take your invitation. I'm going to say yes today. I'm going to pray this prayer. Pray it with me. Church, can you help me pray? Just say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God, that you died for my sins, that you rose from the dead. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to take all my guilt and shame. Today, I make a decision to follow you. Today, I receive you as my Savior. Please come into my life now and help me to live the rest of my life with you and for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.